السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربنا زدنا علما اللهم صل وسلم على نبينا محمد ان شاء الله بيجن فروم باب 19 ذا بريفيس حديث ذات وي ليرنت حديث نمبر 77 ان ويتش وي ليرنت ذات محمود بن ربيعه هي ناريتد ان انسيدنت in which when he was only five years old, the Prophet ﷺ once spat out a mouthful of water on his face. And he remembered that very well. And the reason why Imam Bukhari is mentioning this hadith is to show that children who have not yet reached the age of puberty also remember things very well. Children as young as five years old can remember incidents that happened in their childhood. What does it show? That young children, their memory is very good. Don't they say that little children, they're like sponges? They absorb everything? Huh? They're like clean slates, whatever you write, it will stay in it forever. Right? They're like sponges, that they absorb everything. So this shows that when a child is very young, that is the best time to make him memorize something. And of the things that you want to make your child memorize is first and foremost, the Qur'an. So little children, they do remember. And this is why memorization of the Qur'an is most important when children are very young. This is something that should not be delayed. So sometimes it happens that we think, oh, children are very young, how, how will they understand? I remember um, my sister Asma, when she was um, teaching in the previous advanced course, uh, she was teaching Hifz just as you were memorizing the Qur'an. So her daughter was barely a year, year old. She was very young and she hadn't even started talking. And she used to listen to her mother read the Qur'an. And I remember one of the first words that she ever spoke was the word ma'wa. Hmm? Ma'wa. And I remember we were in class, she was sitting with me, and all of a sudden the class said an ayah which had the word ma'wa, and she said ma'wa, and since then she would say ma'wa. And now, mashallah, she has memorized so much of the Qur'an, but she's so young. We keep delaying it. But the fact is that when children are young, that's the best age. So many scholars we learn about that when did they memorize the Qur'an? When they were very young. So don't delay this. You might experience this yourself, that right now as, you, as you're trying to memorize, you find it so difficult. You memorize and then you forget. And the older a person gets, the more difficult it becomes to memorize. So the prime age of memorizing is the first few years. Anyway, let's continue. Bab al-khuruj fi talab al-ilm. Al-khuruj, going out, fi in talab al-ilm, in search of knowledge, in gaining knowledge. Over here, khuruj, it means traveling, it means safar. It doesn't mean just going out of your house and going to the masjid or going to an institute and learning over there, but rather it means traveling for the sake of learning knowledge. But we see that for women, sometimes even going from one place to another within one city is more like a journey. It happens when you're going on a journey, you pack up your bags and you go. And when you're coming to the institute with a few of your children, it's as though you're traveling somewhere literally. Every child has their own bag and you have two, three bags to carry. So this is just like traveling. So al-khuruj, going out, traveling. Why? For the sake of talab al-ilm, in order to acquire knowledge. And we see that this is something that is greatly virtuous. This is a highly virtuous deed. And it's something that is highly encouraged in our religion as well. We learn in the Quran, in Surah Tawbah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَوْلَا نَفَرَ مِن كُلِّ فِرْقَةٍ مِنْهُمْ طَائِفَةٌ لِيَتَفَقَّهُ فِي الدِّينِ That where people must go out, to fight in the cause of Allah wherever necessary. But there should also be a group of people who go out. Why? لِيَتَفَقَّهُ فِي الدِّينِ So that they may develop understanding in their religion. Now this does not mean that a person does not learn from you know whatever opportunity he has and he leaves everything and he goes in order to acquire knowledge. The proper etiquette is that whatever is available locally, you learn that first. And then you go international. Then you go elsewhere. Okay? Many times it happens that if a person finds an opportunity within their city to learn something, they will leave that and they will dream of going to Egypt or Syria or Pakistan or Saudi. I mean, very good if you have that chance. But before taking that big step, start with baby steps. Start going to somewhere local in order to learn first. Many times it happens that as soon as a person becomes serious in learning the deen, they want to travel to some other country in order to learn. That's very good. It's highly encouraged. However, the etiquette is that you learn from the local scholars first and then you go abroad. And this has been the case with all of the scholars of the past. So Al-Khuruj Fi Talab Al-Ilm 
And in the Quran, we also learn about as-sa'ihun, those who travel. At-ta'ibun, al-'abidun, al-hamidun, as-sa'ihun. Who are as-sa'ihun? Those who travel for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And all of the reasons is going out in order to learn the Deen. And we know that a person who goes out to seek knowledge, then Allah Subhanahu wa Taala facilitates the path to paradise for him. Sahal Allahu lahu tariqan ila al-jannah. This is of the blessings of going out in search of knowledge. And this shows to us that if a person has to go out to learn, then he must not prefer to stay home to learn. If you have to go, because that is the correct process of learning, that is the correct methodology as we will learn from the hadith, Musa was supposed to go to Khadr and then learn from him. Knowledge was not brought to him in his house. So for example, for this course, we have the, you know, the chance to study something online. But that's for who? Those people who have a reason. Like for example, they live in another city. Okay, They cannot leave everything obviously to come and learn. And similarly if a person has young children. I just recently met a sister who has very little children and she's taking the course online. And as I was talking to her, she had no idea who I was. That was the best part. (laughs) So anyway, she was telling me about how she's taking the course online and she tried to take it on site first because she has young children. Alhamdulillah, she's enjoying the online course. The online facility is for who? Those people who are not able to come who have a genuine reason. And if a person stays home for every small reason, I don't feel like going today, it's more convenient if I stay at home. You know, I'll fold all my laundry while I listen to the class. Or I will do other work at the same time. Perhaps I can vacuum or perhaps I can do this or that at the same time. No, it's not the same. The one who goes out to learn and the one who stays home, there's a huge difference. You may have experienced it yourself. When you're listening online at home, there's so many distractions, even on the computer. But when you come in class, then you can't leave the class on every little thing. So yes, learning at home is good. Is for who? Those people who have a reason to stay at home. But if a person has no genuine reason to stay at home, and for every little thing they stay at home and they request for recordings or they ask for the password that morning, then this is not right. Because, okay, you will get some knowledge, but you will deprive yourself of the blessing of the barakah. Because we know the difference between learning alone and learning in a majlis. What's the benefit of learning in a majlis, of being in a gathering of knowledge? Sakinah descends. There's much more benefit in that. And especially when a person goes out in the way of Allah, then every step is counted. Every single step is counted. So don't deprive yourself of this reward. This is something that is greatly virtuous. Al-Khuruj fi talabil ilm. Warahala, and he traveled. Who traveled? Jabir ibn Abdullah. Jabir ibn Abdullah. Masirata traveling of shahrin, of an entire month. He traveled a journey of one month. To who? Ila Abdullah ibn Unais. To Abdullah ibn Unais. Why? Why did he travel a month's journey to him? Fi hadithin for a hadith wahidin one. He traveled a month's journey all the way to Abdullah ibn Unais in order to hear from him a single hadith. Who is Jabir ibn Abdullah? He's an Ansari, companion of the Prophet ﷺ. And Abdullah ibn Unais was Juhani, he was of the Khalif of the Ansar. He was also a companion. And we see that Jabir anhu he traveled for an entire month to hear one hadith directly from Abdullah ibn Unais. He went to Abdullah ibn Unais, why? In order to hear the hadith directly from him. And this hadith that he learned from Abdullah ibn Unais, it's not mentioned in Sahih Bukhari. Imam Bukhari has recorded that hadith in his book, Al-Adab al-Mufrad. Are you familiar with that book? It even has an English translation. Al-Adab al-Mufrad. And that hadith which he went in order to hear from him, we learn that Jabir ibn Abdullah, he said, that I heard that a man from the companions of the Prophet ﷺ has heard of a hadith from the Prophet ﷺ and no one but him has that hadith. Meaning he is the only companion who narrates that hadith. So I traveled for an entire month to him until I reached Asham. So this companion was where? In Asham. Abdullah ibn Unais was in Asham. So he went all the way there, traveled for an entire month. And then when he got to him, Jabir anhu, he sent a message. He came to his door and he sent a message to him through servant or whoever that I have come. So that companion, Abdullah ibn Unais, he asked, is it Jabir ibn Abdullah? So that servant, he came and asked, and Jabir, Jabir ibn Abdullah said, yes, it is me, Jabir ibn Abdullah. So then Abdullah ibn Unais came out to him and greeted him and hugged him. And then he said, Jabir said that I have heard that you have a hadith that you have heard from the Prophet ﷺ, and only you have it. I want to hear it from you because I fear that either I will die or you will die. 
just imagine he doesn't say so how are you you know let me just take rest for a day or two and then i will go and ask him no as soon as he met him he asked him tell me that hadith i want to hear directly from you and i fear that i will die or you will die so tell me before death comes to one of us and then he narrated the hadith he said that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that people or slaves will be raised on the day of resurrection naked uncircumcised and buhman We said, meaning the companion said that what is buhman? The Prophet ﷺ said that they will have nothing with them, meaning they'll be empty-handed. And then Allah will call them will, with a voice which those who are far will hear just as those who are near will hear. Meaning everyone will hear that voice equally on the Day of Judgment. And Allah will say, I am the king. I am a dayyan, one of the names of Allah. No one from the people of paradise should enter paradise while he has a right upon him from one of the people of hellfire. No one from the people of Jannah can enter while he has you know something that he owes to who? one of the people of hellfire just imagine the other is going to hell but if he has some right that you're supposed to give him you cannot enter until you give that right to him and at the same time no one from the people of hellfire should enter hellfire while he has a right upon him from one of the inhabitants of paradise until i pay it to him from him for even one slap for even one slap we said the companion said how will we pay when we will indeed go to allah buhman meaning we will be empty handed so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said with good and bad deeds bil hasanat was sayyiat this is how justice will be established on the day of judgment so this is the hadith with jabir ibn abdullah he traveled for an entire month in order to hear that hadith directly from the mouth of abdullah ibn unais now think about it a person might wonder why all that effort is it really worth it But when you hear this hadith isn't it worth it isn't it worth it so he traveled a month's journey to hear these words to gain this knowledge and he passed on this knowledge and today we benefit from it and if he said why bother i already know so much then he would be deprived of something and we would be deprived of much good as well so it is definitely worth it any effort any struggle that a person puts in in order to gain knowledge especially if it means traveling for the sake of knowledge then every single effort is worth it why is it that he traveled for two reasons for two reasons first of all for the purpose of yaqeen when you hear something directly from the mouth of the other then what does it give you certainty if you hear that so and so said that they have heard something you know you're not that sure you're not that certain But if you hear it from your own ears then it gives you yaqeen. Abu Aliya he said that kunna nasma'u an ashabi Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wasallam fala narda hatta kharajna ilayhim fasami'na minhum. There we used to hear statements that the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had said but we would never be satisfied until we would travel to the companions and we would hear ourselves. So the tabi'een they traveled to the companions and they heard from their own ears and when they heard it is then that they were satisfied then they had that confidence and then they passed on that knowledge secondly the second reason why a person would travel you know a month's journey even longer to hear directly from the mouth of the other was to have ulul isnad to have a shorter chain to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam because when you have heard from someone who has said that he has heard from someone Okay it's a longer chain but if you miss one person and you go to the other directly then you have a shorter chain so to get a shorter chain for ulul isnad this is also why they would go Sa'id ibn Musayyib he said that in kuntu that surely i would travel for al ayyam wal layali i would travel for days and nights fi talab al hadith al wahid in order to gain even one hadith i would travel for days and nights in order to gain even one hadith meaning if i could get a shorter chain for that i would do so so al khuruj fi talab al ilm this is something that is very very important this is something that is greatly virtuous and highly recommended and highly beneficial as well and every step that a person takes in the way of allah it is something that is rewarded anything that you could put in your resume that makes you more you know worthy of a particular job isn't it worth it it happens sometimes that people men they have families they have jobs but still they will go in the evenings why to get another degree to get another certification why because if they can put that in their resume it will get them a better job more money more benefits so a person might wonder you know what so what 
Just be satisfied with less pay. What's the big deal? No. Nobody's satisfied with less pay. If you can add in one more thing into your resume, it will make you more you know, eligible for a title, for a job position. People will put in the effort. So similarly, when it comes to the deen of Allah, if a person can learn directly from someone, and you have to put in effort and money, believe me, it's worth it. It's worth the effort. So when people travel from one city to another, one country to another, for example, living in a boarding, living in a hostel, you know, going to another city to learn, it's worth it. You know, one is that you've just heard what somebody has said through someone, and the other is that you have heard them directly. There's a huge difference. حدثنا أبو القاسم خالد بن خلي قال حدثنا محمد بن حرب قال قال الأوزاعي أخبرنا الزهري عن عبيد الله بن عبد الله بن عتبة بن مسعود عن ابن عباس أنه تمارى that he had a dispute هو he والحر بن قيس بن حصن الفزاري we have read this hadith earlier so I'm just going to read through the Arabic في صاحب موسى فمر بهما أبي بن كعب فدعاه ابن عباس فقال إني تماريت أنا وصاحبي هذا في صاحب موسى الذي سأل السبيل إلى لقيه هل سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يذكر شأنه فقال أبي نعم سمعت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يذكر شأنه يقول بينما موسى في ملأ من بني إسرائيل إذ جاءه رجل فقال أتعلم أحدا أعلم منك؟ قال موسى لا فأوحى الله عز وجل إلى موسى بلى عبدنا خضر فسأل السبيل إلى لقيه فجعل الله له الحوت آية وقيل له إذا فقدت الحوت فارجع فإنك ستلقاه فكان موسى صلى الله عليه وسلم يتبع أثر الحوت في البحر فقال فتى موسى لموسى أرأيت إذ أوينا إلى الصخرة فإني نسيت الحوت وما أنسانيه إلا الشيطان أن أذكره قال موسى ذلك ما كنا نبغي فارتد على آثارهما قصصا فوجد خضرا فكان من شأنهما ما قص الله في كتابه So this hadith we have read earlier and what's the point of mentioning this hadith that Musa a.s. he went out, he traveled in order to gain knowledge in order to increase in his knowledge he had knowledge from before Definitely, he was extremely knowledgeable. However, he traveled, why? So that he could increase in his knowledge. And we see that when Musa salam went to Khadr, he didn't learn their ilm of sharia from him. But what did he learn from him? Other very important lessons that he could not have learned if he stayed at home. Isn't it so? He could not have learned those lessons if he stayed at home. It was necessary that he traveled to Khadr and he went with him, he stayed in his company, witnessed many things, and from that learned many lessons. Knowledge is not memorization. Knowledge is understanding. And a person can only understand something fully when he sees it, when he witnesses it, when he experiences it. Knowledge is not just acquired by reading books. You have to travel. You have to bear the difficulties. It's only acquired through a certain process. Because if you think about it, Jibreel could have been sent to Musa a.s. and he could have taught him everything that Khadr taught. Isn't it? Jibreel a.s. taught so many things to all of the messengers of Allah. And even this knowledge, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have taught Musa a.s. in the same way. However, Musa a.s. was required to go, to travel, and then acquire knowledge. Because this is the way that you acquire knowledge. This is the process and you have to go through that process. Knowledge is not just about learning a text. It's about, you know, we learned about Rabbani. Who is Rabbani? The one who does tarbiyah of ilm. That a person is not just gaining ilm, but he's also getting the tarbiyah. Right? He's getting the basics before the theory. So the saghir ilm before the kabair. So you have to have the tarbiyah and for that you have to go through difficulties. And difficulties you cannot experience if you are at home. You have to travel. You have to go out. Think about it yourself. If you just had to sit at home, play a cassette or CD, and then just take notes, and that's it, would it be the same as coming here and learning every single day and going through the challenges? No. Sometimes you're hungry. Sometimes you're sleepy. Sometimes you're tired. Sometimes you face opposition from other people. Sometimes you learn from other people by seeing things. So that experience is necessary and that can only be obtained if a person travels. 
And you see, ilm, in order to fully grasp it, in order to fully absorb it, you really have to desire it. You really have to desire it. If it comes easy, it will go easily. But if you have to struggle to get it, then you become more greedy for it. And unless and until you have that passion for knowledge, it will not become a part of you. You will not be able to live it. And it can only become a passion if you bear difficulties in the journey. And for that you have to journey. How do you explain to other people who think that it's not necessary for people to learn, especially for women? Definitely we see that scholars of the past, it was mainly the men who would travel and gain knowledge. From this we don't, you know, we're not telling you that leave your houses and leave your family responsibilities and go elsewhere. I discussed earlier that, first of all, you know, if you have the opportunity to learn at home, avail that opportunity. And then think about going outside. If a person has that opportunity, has that ability, then he should go. But if he doesn't get that opportunity, then he should definitely make use of whatever is available at home. So if, for example, you're at home and your husband doesn't allow you or your father doesn't allow you, then don't think you don't have other opportunities. You do have the opportunity to learn at home as well. And believe me, you take that opportunity, you benefit from that, and Allah will provide you more, many more. My mother tells me about how, and I've told you this story many times before as well, that how when she was young, there was nobody in her family who had even gone to high school. Forget university, forget going to some other university abroad in another country. Nobody had even gone to high school. She was the first one. She went herself. And then later on, when the family saw that how determined she was and how good she was, then she got the encouragement to the extent that when she went for her PhD, it was my grandparents who looked after all of us. I mean, look at the support that she got. So many times it happens that we start blaming other people. They don't understand. They will stop us. No. Look at yourself. How much can you do? The more you struggle, the more Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will facilitate for you. And the thing is that you can argue with other people. Tell them, oh, look at what the Prophet ﷺ said. Look at the way of people of the past. But if they don't want to listen, they're not going to listen. Only Allah can change their hearts. Only Allah can change their hearts. And for that, you have to pray to Allah. You have to show to Allah that you really want it bad. And then Allah will open doors for you. And when Allah will open doors for you, nobody at all can close them for you. Nobody at all can close them for you. I remember I was discussing with my mother once about how somebody, they wanted to do something but they weren't able to because there was no family support. And she said, I have seen many, many blocks throughout my life. But every time I say, if Allah wants me to do it, who are these people? They can never stop me. People can never stop you if you are determined. I'm not saying go and fight them. I'm saying be patient, ask Allah, and Allah will open their hearts. And when Allah will change their hearts, then they will help you then they will encourage you. She lived with her, you know, she learned from her, she did all these things. Then when she moved to the U.S. after getting married or whatever it was, you know, perhaps she didn't have the opportunity to come to Canada and study or, you know, teach at the institute here. So instead what she did was she was very creative. She started all the online courses. All the live courses here were then broadcasted online, meaning she didn't waste her time and say, well, I can't go there, let me just sit at home, let me not do anything. But she used her time well, and now, mashallah, so many people are benefiting from these type of courses. That thousands thousands of people take yeah. courses online. Yeah, to the extent that Alhamdulillah, now they have a whole, an entire campus. And you know who's one of her greatest supports? Her husband. You know, at Al-Huda, you see people who are cleaning and maintaining. If you walk into Al-Huda, U.S., you will never find it smelling bad. Or you will never ever find it dirty from anywhere. Why? Because when everybody's gone, he goes and makes sure everything is spick and span and clean. And it even smells good. You know, if you told your men, go and do this for us. It's not going to happen just like that. You have to struggle and Allah will send help. So we see over here from the story of Musa that he traveled. He went out to learn. Because that is the correct process of learning. You have to struggle. And the thing is that, for example, if a person travels, if a person goes out, like Musa he went out. You have to spend money. You have to put in effort. You have to suffer in the way. But every effort is worth it. You spend any money, it's worth it. Think about it, the journey that Jabir ibn Abdullah took for an entire month. You think that was cheap? It must have been expensive. It must have been expensive. So even if it means that you have to spend your savings, or sometimes 
you know, sell your gold jewelry or do whatever, have a small house or never be able to afford to buy a house, it's worth it. Every effort is worth it. I remember once I was telling my mother about this particular school and I was telling her that it's very expensive and she said, never ever compromise. When it comes to knowledge, never compromise. Even if it means you have to spend your entire paycheck. She was giving me her own example that when she was working and we were young and she said her entire paycheck would go into just our fees so that she could send us to a good school. Not an ordinary school, but a good school. Because she wanted us to learn. And she said she never thought twice about that. Never ever thought twice about that. Because wherever you can get knowledge from, wherever you can get the best from, even if you have to spend your jewelry, it doesn't matter. How many times are you going to wear your jewelry? How many times? Eventually you're going to get bored of it. And you know what? Sometimes you don't wear it. It's not a big deal. If you have a limited amount and you wear it, you use it, good enough. But if you have jewelry that's sitting in a locker in a bank, what, what use is that? Just every year you take it out, calculate your zakat, and that's it. And once in a while, if there's a wedding and close relatives, then you wear it. If you can spend that money on gaining knowledge, it's worth it. So never ever compromise when it comes to ilm. You have to spend money sometimes, you have to suffer sometimes, it's worth it. And Musa a.s. we learn in the Qur'an, he said, that لَقَدْ لَقِينَا مِنْ سَفَرِنَا هَذَا نصب. He got tired in that journey. So sometimes you experience this fatigue. But fatigue is part of the process of learning. Without it, you cannot learn. And this is why somebody said, التَّعِبُ يَذْهَبُ وَالْبَرَكَةُ تَبْقِي That soon, this ta'ib, this, this fatigue, this exhaustion, it will go away. You know, you'll go home and you will rest and you'll be fine eventually. But the barakah tabqi, it will remain. So as you're sitting in class, sometimes you're getting tired or you're doing your homework and you're feeling exhausted and you want to sleep. You just want to give up. Don't give up. Because remember soon, you know, this fatigue, this exhaustion, it will be over. But the benefit that you have gained from this, that will remain with you. That will last. At-ta'ibu yadhabu wal-barakatu it will remain. You know, eventually a person will die. Right? But the best is that you can find your grave a resting place. Because what good is comfort in this life if you cannot make your grave a resting place? So struggle, struggle, struggle. If you have to be hungry sometimes, tired sometimes, doesn't matter. Just think about it. Eventually you will find rest, inshallah. But this barakah, it will last, it will remain. It will be beneficial. So in this hadith, we learn a number of things. First of all, we learn about the virtue of is diyad in knowledge, meaning seeking increase in knowledge, trying to increase in knowledge. Musa salam knew a lot, but still he had to travel. Why? To learn the basics? No, to learn more. al izdiyad min al-ilm. Secondly, we learn that even if a person has to suffer mashaqqa and nasab, it's worth it. Meaning he has to go through difficulty and toil and exhaustion in increasing knowledge even, it's worth it. And thirdly, we see that Musa when he went, he was very humble in the way that he acquired knowledge from Khadr. So we should also follow in the footsteps of Musa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ هَدَ اللَّهِ فَبِهُدَاهُ مُقْتَدِهِ That follow in their guidance. Musa example is clear to us, that he traveled to acquire knowledge and we should also do the same. You'd like to say something? Yes. Not as difficult for you as it for other people. So it gives you more encouragement. You meet people who support you when you're tired and when, you're, when, you, when you can't do it. Yes. That's the benefit of traveling when you go outside. You meet these people. Very true. That if you're at home, you know, you get tired, you just press pause and that's it. You sleep. Or you just close the books and you lie down and you can sleep. But if you're sitting in the class, other people are staring at you. If you, you begin to fall asleep, you know, you're encouraged to continue, to remain steadfast. I was thinking that Musa salam was such a strong person. He was a very, very strong person. And I'm wondering how much toil he would have gone through that he was tired. So enormous amount of difficulty and tiredness in just gaining knowledge. And he, Allah said in Quran, he said that I will keep on walking until I get where I have to get. So we also learn from this that we have to have that determination. And this is an example for us to follow. Very true. Oh, 
I was listening to Ustada's lecture and she was saying that because the reward of traveling for knowledge is very high, Allah SWT will put you to through trials. That's why you face so many difficulties. Like your own like family members will not accept in the beginning. But if you are steadfast and you show your sincerity to Allah SWT, Allah SWT will make it very easy for you. Yes. And then there is so much you get in this dunya and in akhirat. And I think it's that even when you are getting tired, the joy that you have by learning, you cannot gain that by resting. Isn't it? Like the way your mind is stimulated and you know how you can make so many connections and you understand these concepts and you know that the thrill that you have and the joy that you experience, can you ever experience that by just sitting and resting and taking life easy? You can't. If life is not challenging, it would be very boring. I was going to say that actually once it's really difficult and you have been like striving, it actually prevents you to let go of it because you've already invested so much in it. It keeps you going. You're like, you know, I've suffered so much. I'm, I've done this far. I'm not going to stop now. Like, so it actually becomes one of your motivator factor that, you know, you've been doing it and you've survived so far. You can keep going. And you know, the, there's that ayah that with difficulty comes ease. So the, the knowledge of what's following, you know, inshallah, even people in this life, when they want to lose weight, like the exercising and everything, they have that picture of them pretty and thin or whatever like they have that final whatever outcome so that's something that we have to keep reminding ourselves inshallah our outcome is inshallah attaining jannah so if we keep remembering that I was saying like when you come here you become more confident uh, as compared to sitting at home and learning alone and plus like I was saying one trillion nerve cells work when we do physical activity or you like think and see and all the one million a trillion nerve cell work imagine so we are using all these cells one trillion cells just to learn Quran Hadith and all this thing for like from uh, 9 to 3 so uh, they are not wasted <laughs> let's continue Bab Fadli Man Alima Wa Allama Fadli, the excellence of, the virtue of, man alima, the one who learned, meaning the one who acquires knowledge, wa allama, and he also taught, meaning the one who teaches. So, the virtue of who, great virtue, the great excellence of who, the one who learns and teaches. Meaning he doesn't just learn and stop there. First of all, you know, he's not one of those who's just doing nothing, no. He's learning. And then he doesn't stop, but rather he goes on teaching. So, fadli man alima wa allama. حدثنا محمد بن العلاء قال حدثنا حماد بن أسامة عن بريد بن عبد الله عن أبي بردة عن أبي موسى عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال مثل the example of ما that which بعثني الله بعثني he sent me الله الله به with it so the example of that which Allah has sent me with and what is it that Allah sent the Prophet ﷺ with? Min al-huda. Of huda wal-ilm and ilm. Huda, guidance, and ilm, knowledge. Kamathali is like the example of al-ghaythi, rain. Which rain? Al-kathir, abundant. Asaba that reached ardan, a land. Abundant rain that falls on land. Fakana minha, so there was of it, of what? Of that land. Nakiyatun, meaning a portion that was very pure, very clean, very good. Nakiyah. Nakayta. Nakayta thawbul abyadu min ad-danas. So that which is clean. So there was a portion of that land which was very pure, and that pure land, qabilat, it accepted al-ma'a, the water, meaning it absorbed the water that fell on it. And as a result, fa'ambatat. So it grew. Al-kala'a, the grass. Wal-ushab. And, you know, herbage. Al-Kathir, abundant. So it grew abundant grass and herbage and plants. Wakanat, and there was minha from it, meaning from the land on which that rain fell. Ajadibu, barren. Barren portions. Amsakatil ma. Amsakat. What does imsak mean? To retain. So, amsakatil ma, it retained water. Fanafa. So he benefited Allahu Allah biha with it and nasa the people. So that land, what did it do? It just retained the water. So Allah benefited the people with that water. Fasharibu, so they drank that water. Wasaqaw, and they also irrigated, meaning they gave that water to drink to who? Their animals. Wazara'u, and they also planted with that water, meaning they irrigated their fields with it as well. So people benefited, 
animals benefited and also the lands benefited from that water. وَأَصَابَتْ And it reached minha from it, meaning from that land, طَائِفَةً A group meaning a portion, أُخْرَى Another. إِنَّمَا Indeed, here it قِيعَان قِيعَان Plain. لَا تُمْسِكُ مَاءً لَا تُمْسِكُ It does not retain ma'an water. Why? Because it's flat. When it's flat, what's going to happen to the water? As it will fall, it will flow away. It will slide off. وَلَا تُمْبِتُ And nor does it grow. كَلَأَ Grass. Meaning nothing grows on it. Why? Because whatever water came on it, it just passed on. It did not absorb anything, nor did it retain anything. فَذَلِكَ So that is مَثَلُ Example of who? مَنْ هُو فَقِهَ He understood. He developed understanding. فِي دِينَ اللَّهِ In the religion of Allah. وَنَفَعَهُ And he benefited it. مَا ذَاتْ بَعَثَنِ اللَّهُ مَا بَعَثَنِي What Allah sent me, Allah bihi with it. فَعَلِيمَ So he learned. وَعَلَّمَ And he taught. So this is the example of who? The one who developed understanding in the religion. He benefited from that knowledge and he also benefited others. How? By learning it and also by teaching it. وَمَثَلُ And the example of man the one who لَمْ يَرْفَعْ He did not raise بِذَلِكَ With that, for that رَأْسًا His head. Meaning, the other is the one who did not even lift his head to it. So in other words, وَلَمْ يَقْبَلْ And he did not accept هُدَ اللَّهِ The guidance of Allah الَّذِي That which أُرْسِلْتُ بِهِ That I was sent with. So this is the example of who? The one who benefited from the knowledge and the one who did not benefit from that knowledge. قَالَ أَبُوْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ أَبُوْ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ He said, قَالَ إِسْحَاقْ إِسْحَاقْ said, وَكَانَ مِنْهَا And there was of it طَائِفَةٌ A group meaning another portion. قَيَّلَتِ الْمَاءِ قَيَّلَتْ Meaning it rejected, it refused to accept. الْمَاءِ The water. قَيَّلَ This is from قَافِيَلَ But in this form it gives a meaning of to cancel something. So it rejected the water, meaning it did not accept it. قَاعٌ What does قَاعٌ mean? Low land, plain. وَالصَّفْصَفْ and even, barren, al-mustawi, plain, flat, min al-ard, of the earth. So it did not accept it. It did not benefit from the water. And qa'un ya'luhu al-ma. Ya'luhu, it rises over it, al-ma, the water. So it is dry, so the water is just sitting on it. It's dry, plain, flat, so it's not absorbing any water. So he gave the description of the ishaq, he explained the second group over here. So anyway, in this hadith we learn, that the huda and the ilm that the Prophet ﷺ was sent with, what does the huda refer to? Guidance, irshad, and ilm, what does that refer to? Knowledge, meaning of the sharia. So the guidance and the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent the Prophet ﷺ with, people are of different types in their attitude towards that huda and ilm. People are of different types with regards to their attitude. Huda is like you know, a person changing. And ilm is learning. Okay? So, the first type is of the one who understands the deen. He benefits himself and he also benefits other people. What type of land is that? Land that is naqiyah, that is pure, that is very good. And so, it accepts the water. It absorbs all the water. And it doesn't just sit with that water, but rather... Rather, what happens? It grows a lot as well. And as a result, people benefit, the land benefits. This is the example of who? The fuqaha in their religion. Who gain the knowledge, understanding of the religion and they also benefit mankind with it. They also benefit mankind with it. They help themselves and they also help others. The second category, the second kind of attitude that is found in people is of who? The one who is just hafiz. Alama Jaabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He's just one who retains the knowledge that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has brought. So he retains it, meaning he doesn't internalize it as much. He doesn't benefit himself as much, but at least he benefits other people. It doesn't mean that this is the person who is practicing what he does not preach at all. No, there are different levels of practicing. There are some people who learn and they implement a lot and they also tell other people. But there are some other people whose level of implementation is lesser. They can benefit others a lot, but their level of implementation is not that high. 
So this is the second category of people. And the third category of people is of who? Those who neither benefit themselves nor do they benefit others. By the way, the second category, the Prophet ﷺ explained that with how? With such land that retains the water. It doesn't absorb it, but at least it retains the water. So that water, the creation is benefiting from it. Scholars have said that the first type of people, who are they? The fuqaha al-hadith. The second type of people are who? The ruwat al-hadith, those who narrated the hadith. And the third type is of those who turn away. Who turn away, who don't accept, who don't retain, who don't pass on. They don't benefit and they don't benefit others. And they are those people who turn away. And look at the description. He doesn't even lift his head. Meaning he just turns away from it. Doesn't pay any attention to it. So we see three types of people here. Those who benefit themselves and others. Secondly, those who only benefit others. And thirdly, those who neither benefit themselves nor do they benefit other people. Of the three, what is the most virtuous? What is the best, the most excellent? The first one. Because when a person benefits himself, then he will benefit other people much more. Compared to a person who doesn't benefit as much and he's just passing on the knowledge. Because once you have experienced something, something has benefited you, then can you not benefit other people more? You've lived it. You've experienced it. Then you can really help other people. But if you haven't experienced something yourself, then what can you tell other people about? Then what you narrate to them, what you inform them of will be boring. Will have no life in it, will have no voice in it, no meaning in it. It will not be effective. Then people will benefit a little, but that benefit will be limited. Like for example, if you have to tell somebody about what shukr is, and you tell them, well, you know, shukr is gratitude, so you should be grateful to Allah for everything. And you should be grateful to Allah for the food that He gives you and, you know, the life that He's given you and the body that you have. Typical examples. But if a person is truly grateful from his heart, he has experienced it in his life, then what will he do? His examples will be, for example, real life. That people can actually relate with them. They can actually benefit from them. Right? So when a person internalizes something himself, then he is much more effective. It's like the land that absorbs in water. And what happens? There's plants that grow out of it. Is there a difference between water and plants? Is there a difference? Yes. Water is only water. But plants is food and water and nutrition. The benefit is far greater. So you can only benefit others when you have benefited yourself. And learn. That will definitely have an impact on how much we learn and then give it to others. Exactly. The more a person you know, strives to learn, the more he experiences and the more he's able to implement because he will experience, he will see how to implement and only then can he benefit others. So when you've gone through that hardship yourself, only then can you pass the knowledge on to other people. But if it has come very easy, then it will go very easy. But the middle one is not very clear. Can you elaborate on it a bit more? The middle one is, let's read it. وَكَانَتْ مِنْهَا أَجَادِبُ أَمْسَكَتِ الْمَاءِ It just retains the water. فَنَفَعَ اللَّهُ بِهَا النَّاسِ So Allah benefits other people through it. فَشَرِبُوا وَسَقَوْ وَزَرَعُوا Notice how the person is not benefiting other people, but Allah is benefiting other people through that. Remember we learned that many times it happens that the person who is hearing is awa. He retains much better than the one who is narrating to him. Right? So the first person who is narrating, who is passing out that knowledge, he is just containing and passing it on. Okay, And other people are benefiting much more than him. So we should strive to be of the first category. Not that, yeah, I don't do amul on this myself as much. So you know, at least I should tell other people about it. No, it doesn't mean that a person is being hypocritical. The thing is that there are levels of implementation. Some people, they are very high when it comes to amul. Their level is much greater. And other people, they're struggling. Like for example, if you look at us, we're all struggling. When it comes to Qiraatul Qur'an, when it comes to you know praying the salah with khushur, when it comes to forgiving other people, or when it comes to qulul al-nasi husna, we're all struggling. And you become stronger as you grow in the knowledge. But at this basic level, at this primary level, as you learn something, doesn't mean that you don't pass on just because you haven't fully implemented something. No, you should pass on. You're struggling. But you should also tell other people about it. 
Okay? And inshallah, if you keep striving, Allah will take you to that final level, that, that highest level as well. And just recently I, I read somewhere that, um, you know, practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. Don't stop preaching. Start practicing. We think the easy way is stop preaching. But what is the right way? Preach and practice. Tell other people and also do it yourself. Only then there is success. Because inshallah we will learn later about how if a person learns but he keeps the knowledge to himself, he's wasting himself. If he's not benefiting other people, he's just wasting himself. We are supposed to learn and benefit others. So just because you feel that you're not at that level of perfection, you don't tell others? No, you do. You pass on that knowledge. When you tell others, it's a reminder for yourself. I remember reading somewhere that one of the scholars had said that whenever I want to improve something in myself, I start preaching it. I start telling other people about it. Because you know what happens when you have to tell other people about something, then you do research and you study and you think and you reflect and then you look into yourself and then you're able to implement. Just recently, you know, with two kids now and alhamdulillah a lot of work, there's I'm juggling with my time, right? Time management. Something that I'm really struggling with these days. And alhamdulillah recently, I had to give a workshop on time management. And I was like, oh. You know, so it really helped me. When you help other people, you help yourself as well. The first thing is when you're receiving, you have to have humility in order to retain that water. And then inshallah, may Allah bring more khair. Yes. Akhbatu, those who humble. I remember when I first started my project, um, I went to Nishiro and I remember asking Muhammad Sharif a specific question and I was so lost and I was like, what should I do? Should I wait and, you know, see a life coach and become a life coach and, you know, heal everything in my life first and then start helping other people or should I, you know, just start doing the project and see how it goes? And he was just like, just be quiet for one second and listen to me. If you keep trying to fix everything in your life first, you're going to be 40, 50, 60, and you're still never going to stop learning. But what I think you should do is start your project. Start seeing, you know, the benefits of helping other people. And you'll learn on the way. Perhaps in this journey that, you know, you're going to take trying to help other people, you'll find, you know, the biggest support system that you need. And you'll learn more from people than you teach them. So he told me, like, you know, don't stop or wait to start, you yes. know, your project or whatever. Just start ASAP. Because if you wait till you're perfect, you're never going to exactly. be perfect. You can never be perfect. And this is so true that there's so many people who have knowledge and still they call themselves students of knowledge. Right? Because you're always a student. And if you think, oh, when I have learned everything and I've become a sheikh, then I will start teaching. Well, the day you start calling yourself sheikh, yourself the greatest teacher, then there's a problem. Hmm? So a person must never view himself as the one who has all knowledge and the one who is most knowledgeable. Rather, a person must always view himself as someone who is still learning and growing. And only then he can benefit others. Go ahead. I'm just going to share a story. Like, um, I actually t- take a course uh, in Tajweed with a teacher on Sundays. And what happened is we were very beginners. Like, you know, we we're still struggling with our mistakes. And it w- we thought it was a mountain of mistakes. And, you know, so, so, you know, she had to be very patient. And, you know, we had different teachers and they would teach us. And about a year in, she said, now you must teach. And we said, what? You know, how can we teach? We have so many mistakes. And she said, well, teach somebody below your level. So for example, you know at this point how much you know and how how you can correct so you can teach others. And in that process, I realized that teaching others improved myself more. Because, you know, you you keep practicing because you're teaching people, so you're practicing yourself. Mm-hmm. And your letters become stronger. And then over time, you just improve more. Mm-hmm. And there were so many other students that have gone, like the students that I taught, they have gone to study more. And they're probably studying even more than I have. So subhanAllah, like, you know, like it benefited maybe more people than, you know, initially yes. I would have thought. It's very true. And you see the description of the first type of people. The land is naqiya, pure. To make land clean and pure, it has to go through some process as well. You have to dig and you have to pull out and you have to clean. And only then when you pour something, it will go in. So in order to purify yourself, in order to purify your heart, your intention as well, you have to keep learning. If you keep yourself away from learning, then you won't be able to purify, clean yourself. Hmm? Like for example, if there is a piece of land and there are a lot of weeds in it, and you want to have that land you know, very nice and lush and green and nice clean grass, what do you have to do? If you just pour good soil on it, Okay, and put new seedlings on it, what's gonna happen? Those weeds 
are still going to take over. You have to dig and pull out all the weeds. And sometimes you have to remove that soil. And then you have to put fresh soil. So this is only done through experience. This is only done through struggle and hardship and endless effort and continuous learning. And if a person thinks, no, you know, this is too difficult for me. I cannot do it. How can I tell other people if I don't even do perfectly myself? No, it's a learning process. You're constantly growing. And as you stay with this process, as you stick to it, you will purify yourself and you will also benefit other people. I was just thinking when you're talking about pulling out all the weeds and everything else, <laughs> that garden work, like if anybody has any, a backyard or a front yard or a garden that they take care of every single day, you have to walk by, is there a new weed in there? Mm-hmm. Is you know something infested? Is this, is that? And you're constantly having to take care of it every day and every summer and it just doesn't go away. Yeah. Like it's not something like you're done and then you can leave and yeah. it's perfect. Definitely. Yeah, it constantly needs care. Constantly. In our house, since the past three, four years, we're struggling with the backyard. Because no matter how much soil we put every summer, somehow or the other, there's still so many bumps and there's still so many weeds and there's still like a particular place where there's so many ants that just don't go away. So this summer, finally, we decided uproot everything. And yesterday and today, they're working on, you know, literally ripping apart the entire backyard. And as I was watching it yesterday and this morning also, I was amazed how the grass and the mud, everything is being literally pulled out. It's a very hard, rigorous process. And this is the only way of purifying, cleansing. You have to bear the hardship. right? You have to bear those cuts and those wounds and those injuries along the way. And then whatever you have to suffer. But you, suffering is a part of the process. just want to share something small in the same line. that I, I have a passion for plants. So uh, I have some plants like everybody would know the jasmine and all of that. So no matter what I did, the whole year, the plants would just flourish, and then after a while, they would die. And then they would flourish, and then they would die. I did everything. It didn't strike me that maybe the the soil that they are in is infected. You know, like our heart gets infected with various diseases. So this year, I've decided that I'll bear seeing them die, and then take them out and repot them with fresh pure, clean, naqiyya soil, so that they, at least they will start to flower. So it, it made me understand so much about myself and about human nature that we keep on trying to do the band-aid solutions. They don't work. We have to really make an incision and let all the dirty blood, all the pus, whatever it is, out to be able to heal again. So uh, alhamdulillah, inshallah, I'm hoping that all of us will learn from it, you know, inshallah. and all what has been discussed in the class inshallah. and start fresh. Inshallah. inshallah. Okay, we will conclude over here, inshallah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.